still in 1 Thessalonians, and today we find ourselves just in the closing, well, not the closing section of the chapter, but of what we're going to do for, for now, and that is in chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. We're going to think about this theme of love one another more and more, and mind your own business, which uh, may sound like uh, they don't belong together, so we'll delve into this a bit and help you understand that a little more. And we are going to finish in this uh, standing on a lead in this section of Thessalonians for, for now, because next week Lent begins, and so we'll spend some time in Lent thinking about some different passages, and then we'll come back again to First Thessalonians subsequently. So today, just a couple of verses, but I'll read from chapter 1 to help us get what's going on in, in a little bit of context. So that's page 836. So let's pray just as we, again, come together to read God's Word. Father, thank you for what we've already been hearing, singing, reading today, and may you, by your Spirit, give us understanding and enable us to know what you have for us and brighten our eyes and our hearts with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, whether you like it or not, you're going to be inundated with all things Valentine's Day over the next while. Some of you love that stuff. Um, I'm not particularly a fan, I have to say. I don't think there's anything romantic about enforced, predictable, a year ahead. Uh, it's, it's, it just doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. And it's, I think we would all agree, even if we like that kind of thing or not, that there's got to be more to romantic love than than Valentine's Day cards, flowers, and, and chocolates. And there's got to be more to romantic uh, love than 
that kind of one-off thing. And there's got to be a lot more to love than romantic love. No doubt we'd agree on that as well. And how much love do you think is enough love? How could we measure it? And, of course, we would have to acknowledge quickly that it's the kind of thing that, has, that is beyond measuring. So today we're thinking about how we love one another more and more. So while we would acknowledge that love is beyond measuring, at the same time, don't we feel a lack of love when it's missing? And when there is a lack of love in our life, though, though love is something that's immeasurable, when it's not expressed or experienced, we feel the lack of it. We, we suffer that and we feel an emptiness. And if, you, if uh, Valentine's Day is not the universal reference point for love, what is, what, what could be? And that, of course, is, is God himself, as Gideon read from, for us from 1 John and chapter 4. We'll read that again. So 1 John chapter 4, it's on page 863. There John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's your reference point. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he draws this conclusion. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So it's impossible to measure love, but at the same time, it has been demonstrated to us tangibly and supremely in the cross of Jesus. And that love is clearly sacrificial, immeasurable, it's compelling, it's other person-centered. And Jesus said to love one another as he had loved himself. Now, I think with that kind of uh, reference point, we would all agree that we have some room to grow and some way to improve and to develop and to see that love increase in our lives one for another. And so we would also be able to say that with that kind of love, well, clearly you can never have too much of that. And so... We have this theme of love one another more and more. Now, Paul has already been talking about this to this young church in the beginning of chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then in verse 9, he says, Now, about brotherly love... We don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. 
It seems like an odd thing when he says about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you, but he's, he is writing to them. So, and then he encourages them to do more and more. So it maybe reads a little bit odd, but what he is saying in effect is, I, I don't need to raise this in a way because you're, you're doing this and I want to encourage you because you're on the right path. And so keep doing what you're, what you're doing. And so he, he's seeking to exhort them and encourage them to keep it up. He, he is pleased by what he has seen among them and encouraged by that. And they have been taught by God, he says, in, in verse 9, for yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Because, of course, it's a key theme in the scriptures that they would have had up to that point. And it is something that Paul himself has been emphasizing. And he has saying, I have the authority of God to teach these things. And you accepted the gospel from me as God's word. And so this is something that they have learned from the Lord and are encouraging one another in. And so they knew that and they understood that. And Paul is effectively saying, you know, good, good on you. This is, this is great to see. And I want you to keep that up um, as a community. They get it. And they think beyond themselves as, as a result. And so he's encouraging them to love one another more and more because there's no maximum level. There's only growth towards a Jesus-like love. So I want you for a moment to think about um, the importance of and the place of love in your own life for a moment. Think about the importance and place of love in your own life. And this is a rhetorical question, but who, who do you think of? Who comes to mind? Now, as those thoughts come to your mind, was it in reference to anybody in this room? That also is a rhetorical question, okay? But look at how Paul talks about this again closely now in verses 9 to 11. Now, about brotherly and sisterly love, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So the context is within this room, if you like. The context is the church, those who know and acknowledge and follow Jesus and seek to make him known to others. Now I do see that. Jean has just referenced how he's been here for two years and has appreciated that. And a lot of people give me feedback, having visited here, of a sense of that love among us. And that is something really that I enjoy and appreciate and love about this context that we have here in Emmanuel. But uh, it's not enough. <laughs> I don't love you enough, I'm sorry, I have to confess. And you don't love me or one another enough. But we have this wonderful exhortation to love one another more and more, as in fact you are doing, and encourage you to love one another more and more. I want to give some... Oh, welcome back, Sian. I just see you there. I want um, to 
encourage you with some practical suggestions. Outside of here, you know, be involved in each other's lives. Don't let this be the only day of the week you see each other, okay? Hang out. Go for coffees. Go for drinks. Go for foods. Go to theater together. Do stuff. Invite each other around. Talk about real things in your lives. In terms of here on a Sunday, I want to encourage you to come consistently. Unless, of course, something prevents you from coming. But come consistently. And here's another thing. Come early. Right? Come early. Do you come late to the airport for your flight? Come early for, for our gathering. It's a way to love one another. It's a way to show respect for one another. It's a way to help one another focus, concentrate, be present, be expectant. And when you come early, you can love one another well by saying, oh, I don't know who that person is over there. I must sit and chat to them. That would be loving one another. And if you are here early, don't sit on your phone for 20 minutes. That's not going to prepare your spirit for a whole lot, except what you're looking at, which also wants more and more, by the way, but that's another sermon. So, you know, think if you are here early, there are people you can talk to. There are scriptures you can read. There are things that you can do here to help get us organized. That's loving one another more and more. And keep welcoming new people. Newer people, I should say. <laughs> There's always new people. But newer, like I like to say, if you're here for two weeks, you are now in a position to welcome somebody because you're here twice the amount of time as they have been. So make a point of that. Make that your priority. And don't rush to your existing friendships or your cultural and language groups. You know that's more comfortable and easier, but we're a community. And so we can encourage one another by making those efforts. And I, yeah, encourage one another to, to see that, you know, it's not just those who are standing here it's not just our job to encourage people in the ways of Jesus. It's your job too. It's your job as much as it's anyone else's. And so please think about how you might do that. You know, pray for and with each other. Just say to somebody, oh, how can I pray for you? What's going on? And then just pray for them there and then. Text a passage of scripture to one another during the week. Say, oh, I was thinking about you today. I was reading this this morning. I just thought I'd, I'd send it on to you. Those things are a way to encourage and love one another more and more. So have a, a giving approach to community. Have a loving approach to community. Don't settle for being a spectator or a consumer. And financially, things have been encouraging in the church. And I want to thank you for your contribution to that end. And that has enabled us to give to others like Church and Chains and to Christian Unions Ireland and, and others. And those are really tremendous things that we delight in. And I want to encourage you to continue to express your love for, for this church and for the Lord in that way more and more. And if you haven't started yet, maybe think about that. Talk to us about that. 
You can come to the weekend away. Maybe you haven't registered yet. Maybe you're hesitant. Maybe you're feeling a bit insecure about it. Just come to the weekend away, right? We'll look after you. And break out of your comfort zone and come and be with others and enable us to demonstrate something of what it means for us to show love more and more. If you've never done a thing like that in your life, all the more reason to consider coming and thinking about what it means to bring these things to bear in each other's lives. It's just two weeks away, and it's not too late to register. And there's plenty of people coming, so you're not going to be sitting there on your own EO feeling awkward. Okay, come along. And love each other enough to challenge each other. You know, it's easy in a church like this. Okay, this room is busy this morning, but it's still easy in a city center church to hide in full view of everybody. Easy to just back off from relationships that maybe you feel are just getting that little bit too close. I, the amount of people that have left this community because people have gotten too close. Now, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? People don't want to be accountable. They don't want to have somebody speak into their lives. Love each other enough to not hide away and to move towards people. Be real with them. You know, it's fine to be here and say, you know what? I just made a mess of whatever. And I'm really struggling with this or that, or I don't understand what Jesus means in this context, or I don't want to do whatever he's asking of me. You know, we're not here for pretense. There's no pretense in the scriptures. You won't find it anywhere except for it to be criticized by Jesus. And I understand that it's easy to become fatigued with change and withdraw as a kind of protection mechanism. I understand that. But we have all we need in the spirit to enable us to do that. So love one another more and more. And it is costly. And we invest in one another and love each other. And then people have to move on for whatever reason. And thankfully, most of the time, those are really wholesome, good reasons. But that's painful. But don't withdraw because you think, oh, this person might leave in three months' time. And don't think I won't lean in because I'm leaving in three months' time. It's right to love in an extravagant, Moorish way. So let's not draw a, draw a, a kind of a line in the sand and say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go this far and no more. I mean, imagine if God loved us like that. Would the cross even be there? So let's love each other more and more. And mind your own business. <laughs> that sounds really wacky, doesn't it? How do these things work together? And mind your own business. But look what he says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. Mind your own business. It's not the most loving thing to say or hear usually. Is it? I mean, you think about well, if you've said that or if that's been said to you, you usually mean it in, as a rebuke. Like, mind your own business. Back off. <laughs> you know, somebody says, like, imagine today, somebody said, oh, listen, this is a sermon. I want to do my, I want to think about how can I pray for you? Mind your own business. I'm not telling you. 
It's biblical. Back off. Look, I can show you. It does sound odd, but actually it is a means of, of loving one another. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, Paul says. I don't think that makes it onto many people's bucket list in life. And it's meant to sound a bit odd. You know, strive to be quiet. Make it your ambition to be unambitious. It's kind of a, an odd thing, and it's designed to make you think, what kind of ambition is that? It's to aspire to live quietly. Introverts rejoice, you know? <laughs> we aspire to live quietly. But there's a particular issue in Thessalonians that is at stake here. And so if you turn across a page to Second um, Thessalonians and chapter 3, this will help us understand it. So from verse 6, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy, busy, busy bodies. Busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, earn the bread they eat. As, and as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him, do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So there's an issue here, a particular issue. And he is saying to them and to us, be responsible for yourself and get on with it. Don't be a nuisance to other people. That's not loving anybody well. Minding your own business doesn't mean that you have a license to isolate yourself, therefore, from community. Oh, I'm such hard work, I'm just going to stay away from everybody. That's not the case to withdraw. Nor does it mean that you should seek help on the issues that you shouldn't, rather, sorry. Nor does it mean you shouldn't seek help on issues that are really pertinent and pressing to you. And more than that, some of us are inclined towards a privacy that deliberately keeps other people away. How is that loving one another more and more? Striving to lead a quiet life is not being so profoundly private that nobody has a clue what's going on with you. That's not community and that's not loving one another more and more. So this quiet life, this minding your own business is for the benefit of others and for the increase of love. Not making it about you all the time either. Some of us go to the opposite extreme. Being a me monster, you know, every conversation manages miraculously to come back to you. 
or somebody's trying to tell you something, oh yeah, I had the same thing happen to me, and just on and on about yourself. That's not loving. That's not minding your own business. Take responsibility for yourself rather as much as possible and not taking advantage of the love of others in a way that is purely self-centered. That's the issue. Be ambitiously undemanding. Ditch the feelings of entitlement. Don't expect other people to do for you what you could do for yourself. Maybe you're the person who always expects the coffee to be bought for you. Why? Be ambitiously quiet. Strive for that. And I think our online presence is really pertinent here with all this stuff. And, you know, we ease up on the Instagram stuff, folks. Just ease up on the Instagram. I mean, there is... An online self-promotion, how much of that is really necessary and helpful? Mind your own business. TMI, people. Why plaster your business all over social media? Now, you may have, you may have, heard, um, you may have heard some rumors close to home here, and sadly, they... They are, in fact, true. And now all your ears are pricking up. Well, what's he talking about? Well, the news is, my and your life is a mess. But you see how you, you started to tune in that bit more tightly? Once I start saying, have you heard what's going on? Now you're thinking, oh, hang on, now we're getting to something really juicy. What's he going to tell me? I was going to go to sleep, now I'm not. Now think about that. Why is that? Why do you tune in more sharply then? People's lives are a mess, and some of that we just don't need to know. And if we only want to know in order to feel better about ourselves or to see people fall, well, we need to repent and mind our own business. Now, workplaces are woeful for rumor and gossip. You've got to disengage from that. Work quietly. Do you really need to respond or comment to whatever somebody else has put online? Is that really necessary? Is that going to enable you to love more and more? And when gossip is going on in work, mind your own business and, and get back to work. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Now, the issue here with some is not that they couldn't work, but that they would not work. And they wouldn't work because they had a hyper-spiritualized view of life and work. And that had made them lazy and, and left them with nothing to do but being busybodies, and gossips sitting there scrolling on their phones all day as if that was preparing them for Jesus' return and as if that evidenced that they were really getting to grips with this whole Jesus thing. Actually, it was the complete opposite. They had been lazy, they were been bone idle, they were gossiping about others, and they were expecting the people who did go to work to put food on the table for them. That was the issue. 
So there is a way of being so hyper-spiritualized that you disengage from life and you just become other, idle, and dependent in a way that is completely inappropriate. So if you can work, you should. It's as simple as that. Not saying you can't receive benefits, disability, or housing allowances, or any of those things, or, or that you shouldn't face unemployment or redundancy. Those things happen. They do. But don't lazily take from others just because they are in a position to help, and when you could do a lot more to help yourself. Christian belief, when understood, should make you among the best employees a company could wish for, make you among the most industrious of people. Never an excuse to slack off or to ring in sick just because you're tired. I mean, what's that about? Nobody's going to respect that. What would your boss think of you saying, well, I was at church at the weekend, and yet consistently they know that you're late with your deadlines, that you're late to work, that you're not doing what you're asked, that you're gossiping around the coffee table. I mean, it'd be right to think that those things don't match up. You wouldn't respect that. And they would certainly never accept an invite to come to somewhere like this. Why would they? Our daily lives matter, and they ought to win people's respect, even if they think our faith is completely irrelevant. Paul says, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Mind your own business in a way that commands respect. Have people think that you are reliable, that you're honest, that you're trustworthy, that you're a person of your word, that you're hardworking, that they may respect what you do so that your life is a powerful testimony in your place of work and ends up inviting questions about why you behave as you do, why you do the things you do. And these daily things can win people over to considering Jesus. Now again, as I said, some people are not in a position to work. That's not the issue here. And again, it's not sealing our lives off from others. We are truly co-dependent and interdependent as a church, as a family. But insofar as possible, we earn our own living. Insofar as that is possible. Many of you, I know, have left professional jobs back where you were working in, in the country you were in before you came here. And you had lots more ability to look after yourself financially there than you do here. And you're scraping through here as a result, whether you've come to learn English or whatever. I understand that. And let's show compassion and understanding to one another. But this is about loving one another more and more. And some of us are weaker circumstantially and financially, health-wise, whatever the case may be. That's to be expected. Some of us can and ought to help where possible, and are in a greater position financially or time resource-wise to do that, and we ought to. It's good to be generous in that regard. It doesn't mean we can't ask for help, nor does it mean we shouldn't give help. It doesn't mean someone, 
you could say to somebody, well, look, mind your own business and get a job. That's what Paul said. Would that be loving? So there are occasions, as clearly is the case here with Paul, where we love each other best by challenging laziness and a lack of responsibility. There's clearly a place for that. Now, here's the thing. However many of us are in this room, there's complexity everywhere in our lives. There's going to be yes buts in our lives. And it's going to take, it takes specific conversations to work those things out. What does this look like in the case of whatever it is your circumstance is? So we have these parameters Paul is making, but then we've got to think, okay, now what's that look like when I'm in this position or that position or in this season or that season? And to do that, we need to be close enough and loving enough, enough to see what is most appropriate. If I am minding my own business to such an extent that I have not got a clue what's going on in your life, how am I and we expected to work out what these things mean in practice? You just can't. Imagine if I tried to cover every eventuality from here. We'd be here till next week. It can't be done. So we've got to work these things out as an expression of what it means to love one another more and more and to mind our own business, to lead quiet life, to gain respect. Now that's a far cry from all the mush out there in windows advertising whatever for Valentine's Day. Because Christian love is a cross-shaped and cross-enabled love from the giving God who is love. And so in light of that, let's strive to love each other more and more and to mind our own business.